read then of the coming of that Holy Spirit that we have just sung about in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading together the first 12 verses, although we'll be referencing several passages in God's Word, so I'd invite you to keep your scriptures open. Acts chapter 2, beginning then at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage that speaks of the Holy Spirit, Father, we pray that as a word just preached this morning, or this evening, that Father, that your spirit would accompany as well. That Father, for those who do not know Christ, that Father, the seed of, of your salvation would be planted in their souls. And, Father, that it would come to fruition. And, Father, for all those of us who believe that the Spirit's work is to convict us of that remaining sin that we war against and to encourage us to continue the battle. Father, all of this we pray for your glory and honor. Amen. Amen. In one of the Reformed confessions called the Belgic Confession that we have been studying in the Article 11 after it speaks in Article 10 about the fact that Jesus Christ is true and eternal God, adds these words in regards to the Holy Spirit in Article 11. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son, and therefore neither is made, created, nor begotten but only proceeds from both, who in order is the third person of the Holy Trinity. 
of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, and therefore is the true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. One might wonder why it was that the Bray and his congregation felt the need there in the lowlands, Belgium and the Netherlands, to make this statement in regards to the Holy Spirit. Why was it necessary for them to set down clearly to the king or emperor exactly what it is that they believed regarding the Holy Spirit? Well, let me remind you of the fact that these folks are under a great deal of persecution at the time of this writing. That the Church of France is pressing hard down upon them. They are thought of as a cult, they are thought of as heretics, they are thought of as those who need nothing but the sword. And so in this, Debray and the rest of the congregation are seeking to place before the king the fact that they do indeed believe that which the Christian church in the West has historically believed. That they are not like others that existed at the time, particularly those people there in Munster who are operating by some sort of movement of mystical proportions. They are trying to give a reasoned explanation of what it is that they believe in regards to the whole content of God's Word. Not just in the Word of God itself, not just in God Himself, not just in Jesus Christ, but also in regards to the Holy Spirit. And we might say, well, yeah, that was for another day and age. Certainly, that is not needed today. In a survey conducted in 2010, 55% of those who identified themselves as born-again Christians living and residing in the United States rejected the belief in the existence of the Holy Spirit as a living entity. Now let that sink in a moment. Here you have people who, who, who claim that they are born-again Christians, living and residing around us, in the year 2010, my guess is things have not changed that much. Who still do not yet understand who the Holy Spirit is. In fact, their eyebrows would probably go up at the pronoun that I just used. They would say, why did you say who and not what. So just as it was necessary 
or to Bray in his day, in his age, to set down clearly to the world, even to the church world, who the Holy Spirit is. So it is needed and necessary in our day as well. I want to look at two things in regards to the Holy Spirit this evening. First of all, this idea of the proceeding of the Holy Spirit, and secondly, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The proceeding of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This, you see, is a long-standing historical debate. I need to take you back almost 1,700 years to that fellow by the name of Arius, who is laying claim to the fact that Jesus Christ is not fully divine. That he was only man and did not have the deity of God. That heresy was strongly condemned. But his heresy certainly lived on. And it lives on, as I have noted before in other sermons in various cults that are in existence in our world and in our society and in our neighborhoods today. But there was another aspect of Arius as well that, that at the time did not raise as much alarm. I mean, obviously, if you're going to, first of all, deny that Jesus is God, that raises some huge concerns. And the church is raising up, what's going on? What's happening? Whoa, wait a minute here. We need to counter this. But he was also denying the fact that the Holy Spirit was fully God. That did not become fully evident. That did not become fully clear until a guy by the name of Macedonius, who is referred to as a semi-Arian, meaning he accepted the deity of Christ, but he goes along with Arius in regards to denying the full deity of the Holy Spirit. He begins preaching, he begins teaching that the Holy Spirit is not God. So this debate now emerges within the church. In 325, the creed that we confessed this morning, the Nicene Creed, is written and adopted. In 381 AD, a statement is added to the, to the Nicene Creed. And the statement is that the Holy Spirit proceedeth from the Father, and here's the addition, and the Son. And the church world went ballistic. In 589 AD, some re-edit the Nicene Creed, wiping out those words that the Holy Spirit does not proceed from the Father and the Son. The battle rages for almost another 500 years until in 1054 we have a church split. Those who take the side of the fact that the Holy Spirit proceedeth from the Father and the Son, the Western Church of which we our recipients, or part of, I guess we would say, and the Eastern Church, 
those Eastern Orthodox, those Russian Orthodox folks who, who take the side, no, the Holy Spirit does not proceed from the Father and the Son. Now, the debate was bigger than that, but, but that is part of what separates. So you find in the Eastern churches much more of a mystic understanding. That they're, they're, they're much more mystery. Whereas the Western church sees that which is happening as the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is not all mystery because the Holy Spirit is at work. Now you might say, okay, that's a lot of historical gibberish. What does it matter to me? What matters to you and I is, is that many within the congregations, not just Orthodox Presbyterian, although I know of a few, but many from Reformed denominations, Baptist churches, are finding suddenly an attraction in Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox churches. And one of the reasons they're attracted to it is because it's so mystical. And that, my friends, comes back to what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Those who leave are denying this very truth. Now what does the Bible teach? What, what does scripture actually reveal to us? Well, I would state it this way. Scripture reveals to us that the Holy Spirit proceedeth from the Father and from the Son. That which has historically been the position of Western churches, that which I guess would be most everybody in this congregation tonight has been saying, has been accepting, has been believing. Why do we believe it? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Now in order to understand that, we have to divide this into two parts. First of all, we have to understand that the Bible teaches us clearly that the Holy Spirit is God. And if he is God, you see, he's not a what. He's a who. He is a person of the Trinity. As is the Father, as is the Son, so is the Holy Spirit. He's not a vapor. He's not an influence. He's not the Holy Spirit in the sense that he's spiritual as, as in the sense of some sort of the term that used to be used ghost. He is identified as God. That which we say about God is true of the Holy Spirit. That which is true of the Holy Spirit is true of God. They are the same. 
The Holy Spirit, for example, is present there at creation. If God is the creator of all things, how is it that the Holy Spirit is there before the creation? The only way the Holy Spirit can be present before the creation is that, is that he himself is beyond time. He himself is eternal. Therefore, as the Athanasian Creed tells us, there can't be two eternals. There can't be three eternals. There is but one eternal, God, who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God. He is God as we hear Jesus' command, as we did last Lord's Day, to go out into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is given an equality. He is given a position right alongside of the Father and the Son. There is no difference. It isn't like Jesus is saying, well, you know, make sure you do it in the Father, but, you know, if you throw in the Son, that's pretty good. And, ah, the Holy Spirit, that's kind of third. It really is not important at all if you're baptized in the, in the Spirit, in, in the triune God. No, he's saying there is this equality. It needs to be a baptism in that form. Else it is not baptism. That's his command. You have the benediction turn of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. If you have your Bible open, turn to that a minute. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Here is the benediction that Paul places upon the church at Corinth. Notice again, the equality. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Why does it take that form? Because the Holy Spirit is God. As much as the Father is God, as much as the Son is God. So the Holy Spirit is God. 55% of born-again Christians in this country deny that truth. We have work to do. We have work to do, not just in Africa, not just in Iran, not just in Turkey, not just in Brazil. Not just in Costa Rica, not just in Mexico. We got work to do right around the corner, folks. There are people who call themselves Christian but deny that the Holy Spirit is God. Bray said, no, we need to clarify this. We need to make sure people understand who we are and what it is we believe. Because this comes from the scriptures. If you have your Bible open yet, turn to to one more passage in, in regards to this. It's Hebrews chapter 9.
Just listen to how the author here is framing this question. Starting at verse 13, Hebrews 9, 13. For if the blood of bulls, or of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see what the author of Hebrews is saying? He's not only giving divinity to the Holy Spirit, he is saying our salvation hinges upon that as well. Just as much as it hinges on the blood of Christ, so it hinges on the eternal spirit. This is not a mute point. This is not some small little part of that which we believe. Secondly, he is God. Secondly, he is sent. See, when, we, when you and I hear, he proceedeth from the Father and the Son, what do you think of? What does that he proceedeth mean to you? Well, in order to clarify it, Debray puts in the Belgic Confession, it doesn't mean he's created, it doesn't mean he was given birth, it doesn't mean he was begotten. He proceedeth from the Father and the Son. Oh, so like some sort of, some sort of morphing takes place, right? Okay, the Holy Spirit just kind of separates himself from the Father and the Son. I guess as when most people hear that term, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking that somehow the Holy Spirit oozes out of the Father and the Son. Proceedeth here simply means sent. So the question is, does the Father send the Holy Spirit? Does Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit that which is sent into this world? And once again, the answer is affirmative. Of course he is. Let's just take a small sampling. Let's go to the gospel according to John. John chapter 14. Where we're going to start. John 14. Verse 15. John 14 verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give, send, you another helper to be with you forever. Well, who is this helper who is going to be sent? Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth. Does the Father send the Spirit? Yes, right there in Scripture. Does the, does the Holy Spirit proceed from? Yes, he is sent. 
Go over to John chapter 14, same chapter, verse 26. Actually, we'll back it up to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Does the Father send the Spirit? Yes. Does the Spirit proceed from the Father? Yes. Oh, but there's a little part there. In my name. Meaning that it is under the authority of Jesus that the Spirit, that the Father sends the Spirit. So who's really sending the Spirit here? The Son. Does the Holy Spirit proceed from both the Father and the Son? Yes. John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15. And when the Helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Does the Father send? Yes. Does the Son send? Yes. Is that biblical then? Absolutely. Now let's go back to our passage of Acts chapter 2. What is happening here? What is what, what is taking place in these 13 verses? The fulfillment of the promise. Does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father? Yes, here he is. Does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Son? Yes, here he is. He comes on this day of Pentecost. So much so that if you look later on in this chapter, at verses 32 and 33, listen to Peter. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore highly exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Who has poured it out? Christ has. Scripture over and over and over again tells us and teaches us that the Holy Spirit not only is God, He's not only a who, but he also has been sent. And this whole business of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the debate about the Holy Spirit basically gets turned off in 1054. And for the next 500 years, nobody talks about the Holy Spirit. Until a theologian in Geneva writes, we've missed the Holy Spirit. It is not so much the other reformers as much as it is Calvin who raises up again Scripture's teaching 
about the Holy Spirit. Do you know that, that in theological circles, Calvin is known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> us Reformed folks. The people who, who look at us and say, I wonder if you guys even believe in the Holy Spirit. I mean, does he work? Does he operate? Is he going on? We don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. After all, that's charismatic. You talk about the Holy Spirit, next thing you're going to be doing is talking in tongues. We're going to have miracles, and we're going to do this. And Oh, no, no, no. No, keep them quiet. See, like all things, Satan loves the swing of the pendulum. He loves it when things get out of control. But he also loves the backswing. So think about this. He won both ways, didn't he, in a sense. Satan raises up these false beliefs about the Holy Spirit. And so the pendulum swings way one way. Oh, we got to counter that. So rather than simply going to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? What did we do, basically, as the Reformed faith? We swung it way over the other way. Shh. Let's not talk about the Holy Spirit. Keep it quiet. And anybody who does talk about him, look at with suspicion. There's some questions here. Who won? Satan. Because the last thing Satan wants is biblical truth. That's what Debray is arguing for. Listen, we are people who are striving for biblical truth. That's what Calvin is striving for, biblical truth. That's what you and I ought to be striving for. Biblical truth. What really is the right thing? Not about the swing of the pendulum. Not about an overcorrection to wrongs that are done. But the right use. The right understanding. The right teaching. And so yes, this is important. This is needed. This is necessary. For our lives today. In the world in which we live. We need to minister the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Because there is much confusion. So secondly then, let's deal with the presence of the Holy Spirit. What does Scripture tell us that the Holy Spirit does? One, Jesus makes it very clear to us in John chapter 3. That he is the worker of regeneration. It is the spirit who causes rebirth. It is the spirit who causes us to be born again. And of all things, this is something that we as Christians ought to take note of. Who is it that causes my regeneration? Don't I determine that? Hey, I'm an American. I'm strong. I'm independent. We do things on our own. Pick our own selves up by the bootstraps, you know? No. 
and in terms of my salvation. I don't even have boots in terms of my salvation. And what good would those boots be? I'm lame anyway, according to our passage this morning. Only the Holy Spirit can regenerate a dead soul. Only the Holy Spirit can breathe breath of life into an unbeliever. That's why I read Psalm 146. When you put your trust in man, what happens? His breath goes out of him. But that is not true with the eternal breath of the Holy Spirit. We are Christians. We are believers. We are saved because of the Holy Spirit. If nothing else, if you forget all about the historical stuff, if there's nothing else when you leave this room, please, please, please remember that. I am saved. Only because of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't cause me to be born again, I cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's not Bob Van Manen. That's not Guido de Bray. That's not John Calvin. That's not Athanasius. That was Jesus Christ. He's my regenerator. He's yours. Secondly, he is the teacher. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus makes it clear. I am sending the Spirit, why? To teach you, to guide you in all truth. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates the truth of God's Word. I know it's kind of popular today and, and for, for people to talk about the, the idea of apologetics and reason as being the means by which they were converted. I hope and trust they mean by that, that that what happened was the Holy Spirit opened up God's Word to the truth, to the reasonable truth that is found in God's Word. They did not find that on their own. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time you and I go, aha, I see, I get it. That's not you. That's the Holy Spirit. Every time we come to a passage and we go, ah, that passage just convicts me of my sin. I need to confess Christ. I need to go to Christ. I need to repent of this sin. I need to confess it as sin. I need to acknowledge it as sin. That's not you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. He teaches us the truth of God. Do we all get that truth at the same time, at the same moment? No. It's a revealed truth. He gives it to us as we grow, as we deepen. The Holy Spirit, the teacher, 
I want you to think about this, kids. Especially perhaps those of you in middle school, maybe the first couple of years of high school, maybe you're, you're kind of into some deep stuff right now. End of May, okay, you're about ready to take perhaps some end of the year tests or maybe even you got to take some exams yet. Think about where you are and what you know about math at this point. What you've been taught throughout this year. And then I want you to think where you were when you walked into that classroom back in August. You go, man, if the teacher had taught me on the first day of class what he's teaching me now, I think I would have cried. Because I never would have got it. Because you know that's exactly what you did. You got your math textbook and what did you do? You didn't look at page one and two. You went to the back of the book. And you looked at the back of the book and you looked and go, oh! And you had a freak out moment because you're going, how am I ever going to get this? You got this because you did page one, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, thirty. And now you're at the end of the book and you go, well, some of you, though, I get it. This is the way the Holy Spirit works. He's a teacher. He's a counselor. He's a revealer of truth. Fifty-five percent. Don't even think he's God. How can you reveal truth without being God? Thirdly, he is the sanctifier. Three passages to take down in your notes. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, 1 Peter 1, verse 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. The term is used in each one of those passages. The Holy Spirit who sanctifies, he sanctifies, he sanctifies. The Holy Spirit doesn't just regenerate and then say, see ya. Live out your Christian life. Thank you. Somebody's listening. The Holy Spirit doesn't just teach and then say, nah, I hope you get it. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. The Holy Spirit dwells. The Holy Spirit lives within. The Holy Spirit is continually drawing us towards God. This is what he does. He draws us to the Father. He draws us to the Son. It is his work, it is his task to be this one who draws. Not the one who receives the attention and the fame and the glory and the honor, but to be the one who does that work. That work we call sanctification. He sanctifies. He is the sanctifier. He does this by giving to us fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. We live on the ridge. Or close to it. Flowers. Beautiful flowers. They're now on those apple trees. 
In a few weeks, we're going to see some, some little buds form, and those buds are going to turn into small little apples. And those apples are going to grow and grow and grow, and by the end of the season, they're going to be nice, bright red. And when they're just ready, when they can't or should not ripen anymore, they're picked. This is what the Spirit does. He ripens us until the Father comes and says, okay, now they're mine. And he harvests that which the Spirit has produced. Do all those apples ripen at the same time? Not really. Especially not over all the world. He gives us gifts. Those gifts are used to, to build up, to strengthen. So that we serve one another. And by serving one another, we grow closer to the Father. But you see, He's the one who's behind it. He's the one who's doing the gifting. And it is the Spirit who leads us on the path of obedience. This one who is fully God, this one who is sent by the Father and the Son, this one who regenerates, this one who teaches, this one who sanctifies, creates within our hearts a desire Follow Christ. Fifty five percent of Christians, so called, don't believe that. We believe. We confess that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son, and therefore neither is made, created, or begotten, but only proceeds from both, who in order is the third person of the Holy Trinity, of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, and therefore is the true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. And God's people say, Amen. Father, we do thank you for the gift that you have given to us of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for sending him. We thank you, Jesus, for sending him, not just on that day of Pentecost, but into our hearts and into our lives, that you are continually, actively sending your Holy Spirit into individuals' hearts and lives, even today. And if Christ tarries tomorrow and the next day, that Spirit is sent into our lives to work and to draw us closer to you, Father and Son. And Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and pray that we might live and walk 
by that truth. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.